0: Welcome to the Sandbox Podcast. It's a platform where we learn to lead well with other leaders. Maybe a little bit harder, but it's a little bit smarter. All right, time coming to your love from the good land. It is Tyler Richardson, and we are so so uber pumped that you're here with us on a new episode of the Sandbox Podcast. Uh, Today, what we're going to be talking about is how to start a fight. All right, and basically, okay, first of all, before I keep going, if y'all hear this, it's my little Michael J. Fox tech vest thing I'm rocking. I'm just really cold, and that's all I can find. So it kind of sounds like I'm doing this podcast inside a sleeping bag. So if y'all can just bear with me through that, I would, you know, be much obliged. So, but what we're going to talk about is how to start a fight. Now, this came from a question that somebody sent in, talking about confrontation, how to deal with confrontation. Obviously, with our organizations, our ministries, whatever. There's so much teamwork. Uh, there's so many, you know, loud, dramatic, you know, personalities, especially nowadays. I feel like, and you know, obviously, there's so much escalated confrontation, and usually that confrontation is made worse because most of it is silent. Nobody talks about it. Everybody kind of goes to their separate silos to talk about it with their buds after the meeting you know, they walk out the door to the left and they're like, can you believe that? And then the other people walk out the door to the right and they're like, oh, I'm over it. And you know, it's just just a whole bunch of silent under the ground confrontation until one day, you know, somebody's late with the coffee and then everybody starts screaming at each other and we're all wondering why we care so much about coffee. It's kind of like that. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna try and figure out the best way to kind of handle some of that confrontation. And we'll probably do another podcast down the line where I'll elaborate more, uh, but this will be more of like a starter packet because confrontation is a hefty situation, and it's an interesting topic because so many people think they do confrontation well, um, and I always find that very interesting, uh, not in the sense of when somebody's like, I don't like confrontation, somebody's like, oh, I don't. it doesn't bother me, I mean in the sense of people who are like, oh, I'm so well at handling conversation. I just naturally am just anointed to walk in and just defuse. And I, I don't, I don't know if I've ever met somebody that says that or that's accurate. Uh, usually the one, they're the ones that people to the door right and left are people that we can't wait to talk about because they're driving us crazy. So uh, we're gonna kind of come at it the angle in this episode talking about uh, ourselves outward. So obviously there may be a boss that has it out for you and there may be some uh, girl down the hall that's just gunning for your position and all those kinds of things. People may have a whole lot of devious motives and are just troglodytes to work with. But what I want to really touch on is our angle in the confrontation. Because I think um, as frustrating as confrontation is, there's such a a interesting balance of emotions that i think we can add to that a little balance by us controlling ourselves and that's what i want to talk about um and one of the things i think you can do is kind of paralleling it to either fights on the playground for example yeah for uh, you know in elementary school i wasn't necessarily the fighter never really had to i guess i wouldn't have mind did i wouldn't have it wouldn't have been a big deal i guess i fought my older brother and he was much taller by nine years, so that's a that's a height. So I think a, a fellow sixth grader probably wouldn't have been that intimidating. But uh, I was really good at picking fights. I was really good at uh, taunting for no reason. Maybe I was bored, and uh, a fight would escalate, but it would just never really come to actual blows. I was just really, I was just that, I was that obnoxious kid. And uh, I think there's some parallels that we can pick from that to actual confrontation. Uh, all starting with the spotlight on ourselves before out. So all of this is going to be the angle of focusing on ourselves and then out. Instead of other people are the problem, how do we handle it? It's going to be more of a focus of is there anything in me that's either escalating this or de-escalating this or the you know something like that before how does it affect other people and are other people adding to my frustrations, things like that. So the first thing we're gonna talk about is, are we starting the problem? Okay, you know, if a fight breaks out, you know, in the hallway between two fifth graders, it's probably because somebody was like, you're stupid, your Lunchables packet is so less cool than my Lunchables packet, you don't even get a Capri Sun with yours, you know, something stupid, all right? Are, are you the person, when you walk into the room, that you naturally can't control your face, you naturally can't control uh, your energic, uh, uh, energic reactions? Okay, really quick pause. I keep getting confused on how to say energic, or maybe I'm saying it right now, but I think I usually say energic, and Kennedy cannot stop laughing at me for how I say this. And now we've gone back and forth on it so much, I'm not even really sure how to say it. So if you're one of the fellow people that are just atrocized, which is also not a word, at my vocabulary, then I apologize. I'm going to stick or try to stay with energy. So your natural response. Okay, back in. Your natural response to the situation are people's natural response to you that when you walk into the room, everything just becomes tense and you are just a natural spark for conflict. You have to examine that in yourself. Or if you don't naturally think that of yourself, which you probably don't, would 10 other people, would 10 out of 10 probably say you are? Uh, I think that's the thing. We gotta open up the situation a little bit more broad to the whole idea of confrontation to more than why don't you ever do what I want? putting a little bit more emphasis on what can I do in this situation to make it better or what am I already doing to make it worse. So uh, do I start the problem? Does my natural tone of voice, does my natural, I come late and then I want to give a comment, but nobody really wants to hear my comment because I, it was after my tardiness, you know, things like that. Are you starting the problem? Following that is, are you feeding the issue? Uh, when I was in elementary school, I was always like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you're so stupid. When I got to like high school, I was really bad when other people would start getting confrontations to be like, oh, I bet you won't hit him. That was like my catchphrase, it was my go-to. Oh man, I bet you won't hit him. Oh, did you hear what he said? Oh man, you will listen to that? Boy, I bet you won't hit him right now, but bet you won't. I was really bad to feed the issue. And I think if there's a confrontation arising, usually in a meeting or maybe that's like a small mini group, you know, in an office with like a a tight-knit decision that's got to be made, like the, the clock's ticking and all these kinds of things. When stress levels are kind of elevated and some attitudes start rising, are you somebody that feeds that? Maybe it's bringing up an issue from the past that wasn't resolved or bringing up something that you know would kind of push it over the edge and you know all that kind of stuff. And I know as we do these, you naturally think of all the people who do these things that are not you. So you're like, "Oh, I definitely know who somebody who starts the problem, and I definitely know somebody who feeds the issue." But I uh, that's kind of natural, and I don't necessarily want us to fight that, but I want us to really pay attention to the elements that's possible. Uh, to us. Not necessarily what would you deem your personality to be like, but if you think in a moment of confrontation, what rises to the top in you to see if any of these things we're talking about does. Uh, Another thing, the third thing in that is, are you prolonging the point? Okay. And uh, this to me is one of the most interesting parts of confrontation um, or a piece of the puzzle of confrontation is because a lot of times when an issue is resolved or could be resolved, Somebody who has the ability to put the final stamp of this is over, we're not talking about it anymore, so-and-so said they're sorry, I said we were sorry, You know we dealt with it, we did, you know, uh, if, if somebody had an issue, we did whatever we thought was necessary to fix it. Somebody took a little time off or we moved somebody to a different office or, or we had somebody come in and kind of counsel us. We did whatever we wanted to do. That person either allows the issue to be over Or they allow that issue to keep going. Now that may be in me, that may be in a leader, that may be, uh, actually it could be in a couple people, but I want to wonder, are we prolonging the point? Meaning, so that means basically in actuality, that would mean if somebody messes up again, do we bring it up? You know, I think a lot of times some people love peace and some people love the sight of blood. You know, I think... Uh, I think in ministry, it's not necessarily worse, but it's definitely, um, uh, I think sometimes it's more accelerated and kind of lifted to a higher level of obvious. Uh, I know I've, I've, I guess I've been in situations and I've seen situations where, you know, it's not so much that you said you're sorry because we want to keep reminding you that you did something stupid, or we want to keep reminding you of an issue and blah blah blah, and I think there's a, a certain level of time for that to understand. Obviously, the severity if an issue rises up, or maybe a disagreement, and and not belittling the people that it involves. But then there comes a point we have to decide: Are we prolonging the point where this could be healed and done with? Because we just want to hold on to the grudge. Because usually, if somebody wounds themselves by their own mistake, usually people love to push on that wound, even when it's almost healed. To remind somebody that there's a reason why they have a wound, if that makes sense. Meaning, if you do something horrible, or if you do something you know relatively stupid, it's just kind of a, a point of view issue. If you do something, let's just say, even for the sake of the argument, that's just some stupid. It only bothers like one out of a hundred people. If it bothers them, and for some reason that causes a rift in the relationship, that causes some type of wound. Okay, when y'all have hugged and kissed and met up and we have moved on. Three months later, there's nothing really but a scab there. And the scab's almost you know, gone because the wound's almost healed and we've moved on. And either you decide you don't want to do something or maybe one day you become a little bit difficult or they do and you don't see eye to eye. In a moment, it's very easy to take your thumb and press on that scab to remind you that there's a wound there. And then, not just to remind you that there's a wound, but there's a reason why that wound is there. And I think sometimes we can prolong the issue to really get what we want out of people. Uh, instead of, if, if we're forgiven, we're forgiven, all right? If this issue is resolved, it's resolved. It's, it's those things, okay? So again, first thing, are you starting the problem? Second thing, are you feeding the issue? Third thing, are you prolonging the point? Fourth thing, Are you giving a solution? Now to me, this is twofold. This is two sides of the same coin of a solution. By giving a solution, I don't mean that you have the answer to all the problems. I think in most cases, when you give a solution, you're the person that is in the room that stands up and calms the nonsense. Okay, so that means it could be a very dramatic occasion where everybody's just pointing and screaming at each other, and it could be something where nobody's talking, but it's just as dramatic. And there needs to always be somebody who can calm the room and bring balance and settlement, and to be like, hey, we're going to bring in a third party. We're going to bring in a pastor. We're going to bring in somebody who's been here before that can help bring an additional solution to this instead of having to put the pressure on yourself that you have to have the answer and that you've gotta know what the right thing to do is at the right moment with the right person and, and, and the right tone of voice and all that kind of stuff. I don't think that's always the solution. I think usually the biggest solution is bringing calm to everybody so that that person can come and bring that, so that the answer can come, so that, that the, you know, the restoration or whatever, however you wanna word it can come. So to do that, I think there are three things you gotta do, okay? I think you have to pray, you have to prepare, and you have to pause, okay? This is in yourself when you're getting ready to confront. Now, if you're like me, I am the worst confrontational person. I am the worst. If you stabbed me with a literal knife, it would probably take me six months before I would ask you to stop because I am that not confrontational. I just, I just don't like it. In my mind, I would like everybody to get along and to support everybody's feelings. That's just the world I live in. I guess it's just one of one, or uh, or what one and two. Even though Kennedy is very, she has no problem being confrontational, but it, not with me, obviously, because you know we rock like that. But that's not the point. What I'm saying is, we have to figure out, even though if we're not naturally a confrontational person. How we can still you know bring an issue to the table to bring real solutions instead of just complaining and you know constantly belly aching about all this stuff to people who cannot help, who can have no voice, who have no authority, who don't do anything and you just basically want to gripe to gripers so you can have a gripe fest. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about really uh, understanding how the best way to with integrity to come forward and to do healthy confrontation, how to do that. So again, we want to pray prepare, and pause. We wanna pray, we wanna prepare, we wanna pause. One more time. We wanna pray, we wanna prepare, and we wanna pause. One more time just for luck. We wanna pray, we wanna prepare, and we wanna pause. Now when we say pray, what I mean by pray is obviously we need to pray. But beyond that, I think the first stage is we really have to really embrace the forgiveness angle We have to forgive yourself and the people that you're having the issue with. Anything, because a lot of times, if somebody does something stupid to you, there's the angle of, you're like, I can't believe... I was mistreated or used or neglected or all this kind of stuff and then you kind of slowly manifest it into I can't believe I allowed myself to be used I can't believe I put myself in the situation to be neglected and all that kind of stuff I think I think you have to unclench your fists I think every morning I when when I'm praying I, I just I kind of just tell myself I'm like God I unclench my fist today and some days I uh, if I'm honest, some days I unclench my fist while I say people's names. And sometimes I unclench my fist when I'm talking about uh, an issue that is very frustrating to me. And I'm just like, God, you see me. And I literally take my fists and I clench them and then I unclench them and I imagine the things dropping out. Uh, uh, because yeah, I think the first stage, you just got to really forgive everybody. Because if, if you're coming in, Uh, to draw blood in a vengeance for them trying to draw your blood. It's just not going to work. You really have to center yourself and and unclench the fist with yourself and others. That's the first thing. Pray. The second thing is you have to prepare. And when I prepare, uh, I don't mean you're like, oh man, I got a meeting. I'm going to go in there. I got a list of things I've been wanting to say for six months and they're all going to get it. No, no, no. By prepare, I mean discern. Okay, and I know I'm using like uber spiritual terms right now, but it, I think it all kind of correlates. Uh, what I think in a discerning moment maybe that you're not really familiar with that terminology or very comfortable with even what it could mean or maybe you don't even want to know but basically that means fill out the situation and and i think that's even a time to go back to the questions of are you starting the problem are you feeding the issue are you prolonging the point or are you giving a uh, a solution i think that's the time you really put that in there and like god is there something that i'm not seeing Am I, am I so confident in the purity of my own motives that I'm not really seeing that there's actually probably a different reality than what I've convinced myself that there is? Maybe I do have a really bad attitude, or maybe I'm reading into something that I shouldn't be reading into. It's, it's those things. And I think if you open with prayer, and, and when you open with forgiveness and unclenching those fists, I think it kind of softens your heart to really understand real truth about the people around you and their motives and your own and sometimes other people's motives are purer than yours and sometimes you're so confident in the purity of your motives and the impurity of other people's motives. Uh, And I think this really kind of settles the dust of that where you can kind of see clearly or at least attempt to. And the third thing is pause. And by pause, I mean listen and listen to see what there is. You you've prayed, you've forgiven, you've kind of wiped your hands clean as much as you can and and you've kind of prepared your heart and maybe in that time you've you've you obviously have the issue you have but you're trying to think about yourself in the scenario and and maybe you know, you thought it was a situation where they started the problem and they fed the issue and they're prolonging it and and they're all the problems. But then you're like, I don't know, I do keep bringing up this certain situation from the past. So maybe I'm prolonging it. And maybe I'm the reason like we both just can't get over it. And in that moment, when you pause, you listen. And not only do you listen to kind of help with the discernment aspect to really figure out what's, you know, what's the best time what's maybe there's somebody I need to bring in that I wouldn't naturally bring in before and and because I think usually in confrontation we kind of want it to be over with as quick as possible especially if you are naturally non-confrontational so you're like I'll send an email I'll send a text I'll you know whatever or I'll just never say anything and then be bitter the rest of my life that's usually another uh, situation not a solution but it is a situation and I think when you pray and prepare and pause, it allows you to be able to put yourself in a scenario where if you sat at a table with somebody, even if they did not want to hear what you had to say, they were not interested, they wanted nothing to do with it, and after your best attempt to be full of wisdom and understanding and to bring them clarity to your point of view and all that stuff, even at the end of all that, they want nothing to do with it and they just tell you to get out and don't ever come back again. In that place, even if they give you that reaction, you're in a lot more likely place to not kind of carry that with you. If you've prayed, you've forgiven, you've prepared, you've discerned and you've paused and you've listened, you know, and I think you have to believe what you see. You have to believe what you see in others, but you have to believe what you see in yourself. You really have to believe what you feel around other people, but you have to believe what they say they feel around you. It's it's so much inside out. It's, it's, it's naturally, obviously, we all want to be in the boat where everybody else is the issue and we can't believe, you know, God is so merciful to them when they treat us so poorly. But in the reality, our part in the story is a part of the story. And so we have to figure out... Who can we be in the story? And I think if we're silent, we're feeding the issue. I think if uh, if we don't stop somebody, you know, kind of bringing up past things, I think we're also prolonging the the point. I think I think just because we're not the head of the army. And just, you know, not leading the charge one way or another, and we're just kind of indifferent on the sidelines. We think that we're out of it. And I don't really think that's the case. I think we have to take the ownership of that. Uh, Again, we, you know, we can't just talk to people who can't help, who don't have authority. And it's not about uh, making yourself garbage so that you just kind of have this weird, warped mindset of honor. I think it's a thing of when you have a healthy idea of God, I'm coming to you, I'm letting go of this situation. And I've sat and I've listened and tried to hear from you of, of what my part of this story is. Then I think when you lay that out, uh, I think you would be surprised at the fruit that would come from it. Again, if they receive it, if they don't receive it, that's not your problem. Because again, there's two tests being taken. Regardless if they pass their test or not, that gives you absolutely no excuse not to pass your test. It gives me no excuse not to pass my test. Somebody's you know, unwillingness to pray, prepare, and pause gives me no excuse not to pray, prepare, and pause. No matter how dramatic it is, no matter how trivial it is, we have to get to a place where we take such pure ownership because that's what makes the difference between somebody who can lead leaders and lead people. It's not somebody who just knows a few things here and there. The people who can lead leaders instead of just leading people are the people who make the hard choices to pass their tests. So if you don't want to pass your tests, then don't get angry when you're not allowed to lead leaders and they just let you, you know, lead some people over here and lead some people over here and lead some people over here and you never do the fullness of what is possible in you. So let's raise up our even... um, not necessarily ambition in a bad way, but let's raise up our expectations of what we can do, what we can carry, and what we can handle. We're not weak emotionally. We're not unstable. We're not ill-equipped. We have the ability to do these things, to walk in, to confront people in a healthy, honoring way without falling apart emotionally, without being you know, misread or misinterpreted. And even if all those things happen, you can leave also, again, once you even leave the meeting. Pray again, prepare again, and pause again, and let go of the bad meeting. Let go of the people who didn't receive it in the right way. There's nothing you can do about that, but you can prepare in the future to make sure that when the chips are on the table, you pass your test. So, so excited that you came and hung out with us today. Check us out at Harp and Ball on Instagram. That's the whole company, but also Sandbox Stuff. We got future things coming, devotionals, a whole bunch of awesome stuff. We love you so much, and let's remember to play nice in the Sandbox individual results may vary.
1: When it comes to vein disease and those embarrassing painful varicose and spider veins, no one is immune. Just ask three-time beach volleyball gold medalist Misty May Trainer.
2: I was surprised to see I had vein disease. I didn't think I was old enough. I'm a working mom of three young ones and I still coach. I need my legs healthy and performing at their best.
1: That's when Misty went to Vein Clinics of America. The doctors of Vein Clinics of America specialize in the latest laser therapies and minimally invasive treatments.
2: It's like they turn back time. The veins they treat are completely gone, and the procedure happens so fast.
1: For over 35 years, women and men have been enjoying healthy, strong, and youthful-looking legs thanks to Vain Clinics of America, like gold medalist Misty May Trainer.
2: Vain Clinics of America work for me, and they can work for you, too.
1: Call Vain Clinics of America now to see if you qualify for a free consultation. Most treatments are covered by insurance. 800-307-4200. That's 800-307-4200. 800-307-4200 individual results may vary when it comes to vein disease and those embarrassing painful varicose and spider veins no one is immune just ask three time beach volleyball gold medalist Misty May trainer
2: I was surprised to see I had vein disease I didn't think I was old enough I'm a working mom of three young ones and I still coach I need my legs healthy and performing at their best
1: that's when Misty went to vein clinics of America the doctors of vein clinics of America specialize in the latest laser therapies and minimally invasive treatments
2: it's like they turn back time the veins they treated are completely gone and the procedure happens so fast
1: for over 35 years women and men have been enjoying healthy strong and youthful looking legs thanks to vein clinics of america like gold medalist
2: misty may trainer vein clinics of america work for me and they can work for you too. call
1: vein clinics of america now to see if you qualify for a free consultation most treatments are covered by insurance 800-307-4200 that's 800-307-4200 800-307-4200